Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Tusk. Now, today we're doing something a bit different from what we usually do. Uh, we are not going to report on any weekly political updates. Instead, we're going to dive into a particular president, a, well, not so much a controversial one as just a almost universally loathed president. Number 15, James Buchanan. Now, arguably the most controversial decision that we made in a previous episode where we ranked all the presidents was putting James Buchanan at E instead of in the F tier. I mean, you look at any scholarly uh, ranking of the presidents and pretty much every single one will put him in the bottom three and I'd say at least half of them put him at number one for the worst. It is unfortunate because there were very high expectations for Buchanan when he was entering office. He was, at the time and possibly even to this day, considered the most qualified president ever. Of course, that depends on what constitutes a qualification for you. He was a career politician. For me, that is dog shit. He was in politics for about 40 years before he became president, but he was the minister to Russia, minister to Great Britain. He served in the Pennsylvania State House of Representatives. He served as a senator for Pennsylvania, secretary of state. He was offered a seat on the Supreme Court, and then he comes into office, and he is universally ranked among the worst presidents by historians. Just goes to show you, a uh, career politician, that's not a qualification. Marquis, you got any thoughts before we get into discussing Buchanan and his catastrophic failure as president? Yes, good evening, Tess. Upon doing more research for this episode that we were both doing, uh, I think we can both say that we probably did overestimate him in the past, and he probably does deserve to be in the lowest tier. That being said, he definitely doesn't cross into the lowest three for me like he does for more mainstream, the more gatekeeper historians out there. For the simple fact that there are other presidents out there that have had longer-term negative effects in, in which the U.S. state metamorphosed into something fundamentally different. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Woodrow Wilson, Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt, most importantly. Right. That caveat aside, Buchanan probably does deserve most of the bullshit heaped on him. Right. Yeah. I also don't think that I would put him at my number one. Uh, I'd, I'd say... As of right now, with where I'm at on what I know about each president, I'd say he's definitely in my bottom five. I'm not sure if I'd put him in my bottom three just yet. But we'll see how that evolves. So, James Buchanan, he was born on April 23, 1791 in Cove Gap, Pennsylvania in a log cabin. He was the second of 11 children, the oldest son. He had an older sister. 
And he was apparently a rebellious youth. In 1807, he attended Dickinson College. He was kicked out shortly after for apparently misbehaving. However, he was later reinstated. Uh, there are some claims that's because his parents were rich and bribed the school, but I wasn't able to find anything to validate that. But at a young age, he began getting into politics. In 1814, at the age of 23, he was elected to the Pennsylvania State House of Representatives as an anti-war federalist during the War of 1812. And, well, from there, his political history begins taking a lot of confusing twists and turns. Despite being a Pennsylvanian, he always associated himself more so with Southerners than Northerners. He sort of saw Northern abolitionists as the cause of the conflict and chaos during the tensions leading up to the Civil War. In fact, he even writes about this in his book that he wrote more towards the end of his life, Mr. Buchanan's Administration on the Eve of Rebellion. I didn't read the whole book, but at several points in this, he sort of paints the North and the abolitionists as the instigators and the aggressive, hell, almost sort of as the bad guys of the Civil War. And so you can kind of see where his political career will become very controversial. He saw Southerners as a more graceful and charming group of people. He got along with them better. And during his presidency, four out of six of his cabinet members were slaveholding Southerners. So, Marquis, you got any thoughts on this? Any insight? Right. Uh, just building off what you just said about uh, Buchanan's administration being a refuge for or the secessionists, that's a common criticism of his regime, basically. I, I believe the number is four, uh, four of the his cabinet members actually defected and uh, went to the Southern cause Indeed. before or the, the end of the war. So that's definitely an interesting statistic that that many of your damn cabinet secretaries defect to a, the opposite side in a war. Right. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'd assume that it was the four slaveholding Southerners that defected and became a part of the Confederate government. So, yes. my impression before I did all this research on Buchanan was that he was soft, which he was, but my beliefs at the time were that he sort of attempted to compromise between the North and South in all the wrong ways where instead of making them both happy, it just pissed them both off. However, if we take a closer look at his administration, we'll see that he didn't just mishandle the tensions between the North and South. That, that was a big part of it. However, a lot of it he has to blame on himself. So... Before we get into that, though, we can uh, sort of talk about his personal life a bit more. Uh, not too much, though, because I don't 
find it completely relevant, although some of it actually does come back and explain a little bit of his ideology. So, Buchanan is known for being the first and, to date, only lifelong bachelor to hold the office of president, uh, though he did become engaged at 28 years old to the 23-year-old Anne Caroline Coleman. However, Coleman ended up breaking off the engagement later that year, and it's under mysterious circumstances. However, it is speculated among many people that she broke it off because he wasn't around much. He had a political career, he needed to travel a lot, and further speculation leads many people to believe that when he did come back home, she wasn't necessarily the first woman that he went to. Now, that's just speculation. I couldn't find any credible source for it. However, that's what many people believe. Uh, much of their relationship remains a mystery. And after they broke off the engagement, she died, also under mysterious circumstances. However, it's Again, speculated that it was a suicide. Others claimed that it was an opiate overdose after she was diagnosed with a cold. Um, although Buchanan never re-engaged or remarried for the rest of his life, he did keep all of her letters with him that she had written him until he died. And after his death, per his request, the letters were burned. So that's lost in history. We'll never know what was said in those. And, of course, as many people already know, it's theorized that Buchanan might have been gay because, well, for one, he was a lifelong bachelor, and secondly, there are certain letters from history of Buchanan speaking very, very fondly of his very longtime roommate, William Rufus King, who was an Alabama senator, and later became the vice president under Franklin Pierce. This is also, for the most part, speculation. Uh, there are a few quotes from, I believe it was Andrew Jackson, who referred to them as two uh, rather cute nicknames, I suppose. Uh, people claim that they acted very effeminate and very, very fondly of each other. Uh, there was one letter in which Buchanan wrote that while uh, King was traveling, that he felt very lonely and tried to, quote-unquote, go to other men to satisfy him, although they didn't quite meet his standards. Uh, it was along those lines. I don't have it right here with me. But uh, whether or not that's evidence that they were gay, uh, I could give or take that. I mean, I would be inclined to believe that he could have been at least bisexual, but I don't think that really holds up for evidence. What are your thoughts? Right. I'm pretty sure a lot of that at uh, revisionism about uh, James Buchanan's sexuality actually just came down to a few avant-garde type historians who wrote a few decades ago. I was reading this the Worst Present, the story of James Buchanan by Bollard, in which he basically just tamped that whole thing down as revisionism. Because there's like another letter where Buchanan is saying 
I believe also about Rufus King, that uh, he had known him more intimately than had any other man. But at the same time, just how many ways could you interpret the word intimately? Have to be anything down in the gutter like that, as some people would like it to be. But at the same time, Buchanan is also having these weird flirts throughout his life with women. Doesn't seem to go very far. Doesn't even seem to end in sex or anything. But nonetheless, he does have these weird flirtations. I'm going to read a passage from The Worst President, the story of James Buchanan. A very cringeworthy passage at that that illustrates it. And I quote, As a result, he increasingly lived in a world of his own. Visiting Bedford Springs, Pennsylvania in the summer of 1863, he socialized with what he described as, quote, several naughty secession girls from Baltimore, unquote. He told Harriet that he treated them playfully, that's an exact quote, remarking, quote, I love them so that it would be impossible for me to part from them, and that the shocking thought of that has never once entered my head of living in a separate confederacy with them. It huh. was all to be canon, but what the general public in the middle of a war, seeing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of men, would have thought fully flirting and kissing, quote, secession girls can only be imagined. This isn't the only time where Buchanan is acting really weird and cringe with women decades younger. He's in his 70s when this is happening. And that it's like an old-time Donald Trump, only without Donald Trump's smoothness. At least Donald Trump isn't terribly cringe about it. This man is extremely cringe about it. There's nothing to indicate that these women were underage or anything but nonetheless it's just a yeah, I mean, unbecoming it's... thing for a person of his age and status to be doing when the country is currently ripping itself apart by civil war that he partially caused yeah that's uh that's not that's not a good look this isn't the only time that buchanan even does this there's another incident during his presidency where a congressman by the name of Sickles, he has a, a beautiful young wife named Teresa, and he basically starts cheating on Sickles with, I think, the grandson of Francis Scott Key, the person who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. And James Buchanan is weirdly inserting himself into this and is also hitting on Teresa at the same time creating a rift between the two. And when Sickles finally finds out about, about Scott Key, he, he shoots him in the middle of Washington, shoots him dead, and Buchanan then comes to his aid and tries to get the key witness to the case to leave town, telling him that you'll probably be arrested by the police if you don't leave immediately. Well, he does that, but there were other witnesses to the shooting, so Buchanan sends a crack team of lawyers to try to defend his friend Sickles while he's still hitting on his wife and being all awkward and cringe and a 70-year-old man flirting with a 20-something woman who's also married. Wow. I did not know about that. You story. can't make this up. I'm sure you can't. Yeah. Uh, another 
very not good look for Buchanan. But sort of heading back into his political career, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, James Buchanan became very, very good friends with the Alabama senator, William Rufus King. And King was only one of several other bachelor Southern representatives who Buchanan basically roomed with for actually many, many years. And uh, he became good friends with them. And, of course, being roommates with good friends of yours, they're going to influence your views on certain things. And James Buchanan, while for at this point in his life, he held sort of wishy-washy views on slavery. Uh, for his whole life, he said that he was morally opposed to slavery. He acknowledged that it was evil, uh, but his views on it were sort of a gray area up until this point. Again, he is living with bachelor Southern representatives. It very, very firmly pro-slavery representatives. So, living with these people for several years, you can probably imagine how they influenced his views on the matter. And eventually, he argued that though slavery was evil, it couldn't be undone because it would, quote-unquote, massacre the high-minded and chivalrous race of men in the South, and that emancipation would turn slaves into masters. I don't know how bringing liberty to anyone is massacring anyone, but that's aside the point. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I'm i still not entirely sure what he meant by massacring the high-minded and chivalrous uh, race of men in the South. Uh, he might mean, just says so much weird shit. He did say a lot of like, weird I, shit. I think, right. and this was a big paranoia for pro-slavery uh, Southerners, is that they feared that if the slaves were freed, that they would sort of, well, kill all the white people. From my understanding, that's how many of them viewed it. But this is, uh, this is just the beginning. He, well, it gets worse. Spoiler alert, it gets a hell of a lot worse. So, for the next, well, couple of decades... Buchanan proceeds to climb the political ladder, and eventually he is offered a seat on the Supreme Court. However, he declines this, and once James K. Polk becomes the president, he is offered a position as Secretary of State. Now, keep in mind, five of the first eight presidents had previously been a Secretary of State. So, getting this position could be a huge step up for Buchanan. However, even though he accepts this offer initially from James K. Polk, eventually he changes his mind and says, No, I do not want to be Secretary of State. Instead, I would rather a seat on the Supreme Court. James K. Polk says, Okay, sure, you can have it. However, Buchanan changes his mind again and says, you know what, no, I want to be Secretary of State. And this flip-flops back and forth. I'm not even sure how many times exactly, but it's a lot. But eventually Buchanan settles on Secretary of State, and Polk says, fine, go ahead. 
And uh, former President Andrew Jackson actually criticized this decision. He told Polk that he was making a pretty big mistake giving Buchanan the job, saying that Jackson himself had only appointed him as minister to Russia because, quote-unquote, it was as far as I could send him where he could do the least harm. I would have sent him to the North Pole if we kept a minister there. Those are some pretty harsh words, but we find out later that it's not completely unjustified. As Secretary of State, Buchanan wanted Polk to bail on attempts for the Oregon Territory. So Polk was sort of battling it out for the Oregon Territory, sort of playing mental mind games, a mental war against the British for the Oregon Territory. However, Buchanan wanted to pussy out of that one. He said, you know what, Let's. why don't we just forfeit it, you know, let them have it. Thankfully, Polk said, no, fuck you, we're not doing that. And, well, Buchanan got shut down on that. However, the Mexican-American War comes along, and once again, Buchanan wants to sort of pussy out of it. Not out of the war, per se, but instead, Buchanan said, we should announce to everybody that we are not trying to get any new territory. That that is not what the purpose of this war is. Even though that was the entire purpose of the Mexican-American War. Once again, Polk said, no, grow some fucking balls. This is 100% about territory. So, if Buchanan had... If his ideas had gone through, who knows what America would look like today. It definitely wouldn't look how it does now. However, eventually, Buchanan sort of changed his ideology, I guess, because he wanted to take three-quarters of the pre-war Mexican territory after the war was already won. Now, why? Why the fuck would he go from essentially just wanting to piss away territory to our rivals and then suddenly want to take 75% of an entire nation? Well, no one really knows exactly. However, many Buchanan critics say at that point Buchanan was becoming power-hungry and simply wanted to take bigger risks because his desire to climb up the political ladder was overtaking his fear of making big decisions and potentially big accomplishments. That's just speculation. Right. However, if you look at some of the other points in Buchanan's political career, it's very possible that this could have been the case. Right. Somewhere along the lines, Buchanan definitely became an expansionist. One of the big foreign things of his administration before the country literally split in half was that he was for purchasing Cuba to get it, presumably, as a slave state for the United States. Because he was a big pro-slavery guy, basically, you can, and it was already South, 
way south of the Mason-Dixon line, being not even part of the continent proper, it definitely would have maintained slavery. But he had a curious justification for it. While talking about the brutality of the Spanish there, and specifically the Spanish form of slavery, he's going to say that that the American variety is going to be the more humane and blah, 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 slavery speak. But that's all well and good that the Spanish might have been quote-unquote worse, but they're still expanding slavery and further institutionalizing it by doing so, so that doesn't give it a shred of moral legitimacy contra Buchanan and France. Indeed. But, yeah. Uh, they tried to get Cuba. Obviously, it didn't work, but yeah, that was one of the high points of his administration. Not the high points, but a a big point of his foreign policy, even if it was frustrated in the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, a popular quote from James K. Polk is that Buchanan is an able man, but in small matters without judgment and sometimes acts like an old maid. Wow, yeah. The old maid criticism pops up a lot about this guy. Yeah. Because of the similarity in initials, I almost said Joe Biden. <laughs> so, in 1856, Buchanan is elected the 15th president of the United States, and he took office on March 4th, 1857, and, well... It immediately got off to a rocky start. So, before Buchanan was even in office, he was trying to take the reins on one of the biggest issues facing the nation at the time, and that is the Dred Scott case. So, basically, Dred Scott and his wife were two African American slaves, and their slave owner their owner died so they decided to take it to court and sue for their freedom saying hey our owner died so shouldn't that make us free and Buchanan apparently contacted a Pennsylvanian the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court a fellow Pennsylvanian telling him to come up with a ruling that would put the slavery issue to bed. Likely hoping that this new Republican Party that was uh, gaining ground fast would lose its signature issue. After all, that's what the Republican Party was founded on, being anti-slavery. So if they could put the issue to bed, the Republican Party would hopefully die off and well, the Democratic Party could basically hold the nation, have the entire nation under its thumb. In a 7-2 ruling, the Supreme Court decided that African Americans could not sue for their freedom since they could never be American citizens. That is exactly what Buchanan pushed for. Again, this is a man who says that slavery is a moral evil. And we'll see, he... I couldn't find anything that he actually did for the anti-slavery cause. 
I mean, I, I looked for a while. I couldn't find it. Maybe there's something they did, but everything he does throughout his presidency is basically pro-slavery. The Dred Scott case also ruled that Congress had exceeded its authority when it passed the Missouri Compromise in 1820, almost 40 years prior. And so it declared the Missouri Compromise fully null and void. The federal government could no longer ban slavery in federal territory. Now, of course, this was a huge win for the pro-slavery advocates, while the other half of the nation was pretty fucking pissed off. And, well, it doesn't end there. That is one of the great sins of the Buchanan administration. However, arguably, their biggest sin was between the Civil War and bleeding Kansas. But before we get to that, Marquis, do you have any thoughts on the Dred Scott case? Well, if you're going to make a list of the biggest travesties of justice in this country, that it's really hard to top that one. And you could talk maybe the core of the cases relating to the internment of hundreds of thousands of Japanese Americans could come close to it, but there really aren't many times in American history when the Supreme Court has so blatantly denied civil liberties to Americans. So, if you're looking for the darkest chapter of the Supreme Court, that's it's probably right here. Definitely. And it, ha it happened under Buchanan's watch and in collusion with him. And this was before and, he this was before he was even president. Before he even took office, he called up the chief justice and told him, "Hey, we need to make this go this certain way." And so basically, this wasn't just Buchanan coming into office at a shitty time and being dealt a shitty hand. This was his decision. That was what he wanted to be the state of the union when he took office. And the Dred Scott decision was announced only two days after he took office. But moving on to one of the most, if not the most corrupt incidences of James Buchanan administration. In 1857, Buchanan said that he wanted the two sides of the slavery argument in Kansas, which was only a territory at the time, to settle the matter by electing delegates to a convention where a state constitution would be written, granting Kansas statehood once it was voted for by Kansans, then sent to D.C. to be signed by Buchanan and Congress. So, before the elections for the delegates... Buchanan appointed a governor to supervise Kansas, basically to make sure that the elections were fair and, you know, the state didn't completely kill itself. And he called for an election for the convention delegates, but a bunch of pro-slavery citizens of Missouri flooded into Kansas for this election uh, stuffing ballot boxes, 
basically committing mass voter fraud. And it was not even somewhat subtle. You would have counties with only a handful of people, like tiny, tiny tiny-ass villages, turning up like 1,200 fucking votes for a pro-slavery constitution. So, obviously, something was fucking off. There was a shit ton of corruption. But, thankfully, the Kansas governor saw this, and in order to balance the election and actually make it somewhat fair, he threw out a bunch of these counties with, obviously, unrealistic numbers. So, this really pissed off pro-slavery Southerners, and it, in a way, humiliated James Buchanan. So, 60 pro-slavery delegates decided to write a pro-slavery constitution on their own, and instead of going through the convention process, they decided to straight up mail it to James Buchanan in the White House. Now, instead of immediately signing this constitution, Buchanan decided to let Kansans vote between this pro-slavery constitution and another constitution that was written. uh, But here's the catch. It wasn't a pro-slavery constitution versus an anti-slavery constitution. It was a full-on pro-slavery constitution versus a constitution that merely said that no new slaves could be imported into Kansas. It did not in any way end slavery in Kansas. uh, Apparently there were roughly 200 slaves in Kansas at the time. They would still stay slaves, as would all of their descendants born in Kansas. Obviously, the pro-slavery constitution versus the pro-slavery plus constitution, basically. Right. Now... Obviously, the, uh, the anti-slavery Kansas were just a bit unhappy about this. It was between those two constitutions. There was no other option. There was no none of the above. So, a bunch of anti-slavery advocates in Kansas decided to boycott this referendum for the constitutions. They held their own unofficial vote, but with a neither option. And again, this was unofficial, so no matter how it turned out, it wouldn't make all that much of a difference in a direct legal sense. However, Buchanan's vote resulted in roughly, it was hard to find an exact number, but roughly 5,000 votes for the original pro-slavery constitution beating by another unspecified number against the no-imported-slaves constitution. The unofficial vote for a neither option got 10,265 votes. Now, again, unfortunately, this had no actual legal ground because it was an unofficial vote. However, when the pro-slavery constitution reached D.C., Everybody in the nation knew that most Kansans, the vast, vast majority of Kansans, were against it. So, again, a really, really 
bad look for Buchanan. Now, regardless, Buchanan still backed and signed this pro-slavery constitution, but he still needed congressional approval. And, well, his cabinet members are speculated to have pressured and bribed Congress with, hell, some theories even saying that they tried to bribe them with prostitutes, but Congress still shot it down. So, Buchanan sent this pro-slavery constitution back to Kansas with an extra condition. If Kansans voted for this pro-slavery constitution, they would immediately be granted statehood as well as 4 million acres of land being given to the state. However, if they refused, they would not be granted statehood or this land, and they would have to wait for their population to significantly increase to be granted statehood. Now, this looks like Kansans would at least be pretty split on this, but they weren't. They refused this pro-slavery constitution regardless, and in 1858, only 1,800 Kansans voted for this constitution, and 11,300 voted against it. Finally, Buchanan gave up, and Kansas had to wait a while, but they were admitted as a free state in January of 1861. Now, because of this turn of events, the West and the North were so angered by Buchanan trying so fucking hard to push this pro-slavery constitution on a state that obviously didn't want slavery that by the time the midterms came around, Democrats suffered a horrible fucking defeat with Republicans gaining 28 seats, 23 in the House and 5 in the Senate, though Democrats still held the Senate, Republicans swept the House of Representatives. Now, what do they do with this midterm victory? Well, they decided to launch an investigation, actually several investigations, on James Buchanan. And it was found that he, <laughs> he overpaid federal contracts to companies who then gave kickbacks to the Democratic Party. He also blackmailed and bribed countless congressmen and senators for votes as well as other shit, other political wishy-washy shit, and, well, unfortunately, even though the reporters found Buchanan guilty, they couldn't dig up enough to warrant an impeachment, and Buchanan claimed complete exoneration. So, around the time 1860-1861 rolls around, since Buchanan promised at his inauguration to only serve one term, he did not run in 1860. And on November 6, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected President of the United States. And just four days later, just four days after his election, South Carolina called a convention to discuss secession. And they seceded on December 20th, 1860, Missouri followed on January 9th, 1861, Florida on January 10th, Alabama on 
January 11th, Georgia on January 19th, Louisiana on January 26th, Texas on February 1st. So that's seven states that have now seceded in less than two months. Four other states followed in secession during the opening months of Lincoln's presidency. Now, in December of 1860, before, even before any of the states had seceded, Buchanan gave a speech saying, yeah, secession isn't technically legal, however, stopping it isn't either. In January of 1861, he said, quote-unquote, all for which the slave states have ever contended is to be let alone and permitted to manage their domestic institutions in their own way. Buchanan did not do anything. Anything at all. Now, you can argue for what you think the best path would have been during the secession crisis. However, Buchanan did not follow a path. He didn't do shit. He did not try to compromise in any meaningful way. He only made decisions that pissed everybody off. It's funny how he was able to unify the country in opposition to him. Yeah. He pissed off the South by saying that there is no right to secession and all the fire-eating Southerners like his old friend and uh, I believe Sander Kitt. I think he was a Sander. They all became pissed at him by saying that there is no right to secession. Uh, I would disagree with that. I think Thomas Jefferson was very clear in the Virginian Kentucky resolutions that there was intended to be a right of secession, but that's aside the point. At the same time, though, he's pissing off the North, saying that the federal government has no role in stopping a secession. Basically, if anyone wants to secede, they can't, but we have no right to stop them, basically. Yeah, which, I mean, in that case, what what's even your point? I mean, it's like, yeah, these people are doing something that we don't think they can do, but um, fuck it. You just said that they don't have the legal right to do it. So basically the point is that secession is a crime. That That's the point that he's making. It's specifically that it's not legal. He's saying that it's illegal. If somebody is doing something illegal, it is the government's job, essentially, to stop it. And and this is putting aside like any of my views on the secession itself. I mean, that's a whole different fucking can of worms. I, I agree. Thomas Jefferson was pretty clear that states are supposed to have a right to secede. But I, I'm going off of Buchanan's logic here. What you're doing is illegal. But it's all right, I guess. Buchanan just has a tendency to say these really weird rambling speeches in which he, some people just liken them to like, like writing a doctoral thesis on the spot where he dives into these excruciating tales and pointless minutiae that could be of no possible interest to anyone but him. He did this on this one occasion where he's endorsing secession, not in 
endorsing secession, endorsing this, not endorsing that, just flip-flopping and saying inane things. Now, it's also important to note, Buchanan's Secretary of War, not only did he later become a Confederate general, but he used his final months of the Buchanan administration to send small arms and artillery to the Confederacy. And other Southerners in the Buchanan administration acted as spies for the Confederacy. Four members of his cabinet, as we mentioned earlier, I'm assuming it's the slave-owning Southerners in his cabinet, they would join the Confederate government, and apparently Buchanan started breaking under the pressure in his last couple of months as president. He would start losing his cool, uh, apparently he had trouble sleeping, and he just was not handling it well at all. But he lasted until the end of his term. And the Civil War did not break out until roughly a month after he left office. Which, lucky for Buchanan, not his problem anymore. And he can just walk out and never look back. And leave it all to Lincoln. So, on March 11th, 1861, the government of the Confederate States of America was officially formed. That was only seven days after Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated. And, well, that's pretty much the end of the Buchanan administration. What are your thoughts, Marquis, on either the Civil War crisis or Buchanan as a whole? Right. I always take the view that this is the pivotal thing of the Buchanan administration. We talked a lot about the other things, led up to this but i'll always be of the opinion that war and the country breaking up right then those crucial months from harper's ferry up until the end of his administration are really the, the big turning point the civil war was inevitable after the attack on harper's ferry where john brown radical abolitionist just takes a couple of other or like-minded fellows, and seizes a federal arsenal. And that's one of the few things that Cannon actually handled in a sensible manner. He immediately got, of all people, Robert E. Lee and Jeb Stewart, the two future generals of Confederate acclaim, to go take a company of Marines and retake it by storm. And... Uh, Yes, that didn't end very well for John Brown. He was, yeah, he was yeah. or Robert E. Lee people... seized him and hung him. Yes. Interestingly enough, one of the people watching the hanging was also Stonewall Jackson, the future Stonewall. His real name was Thomas. But a weird coincidence was right there. But after that, it's basically inevitable, no matter what Buchanan is going to do, and it's just damage control. There's a story, it's become a staple of Buchanan mythology that on the eve of the South Carolina secession, he's at a wedding 
partying and dancing it up and being a cringe old man flirting with young ladies until somebody comes up to him and tells him that South Carolina has seceded and he dramatically sinks into a chair and says, I'd love to call my carriage, please, and return to the White House. Turns out this is another one of the things that just simply didn't happen that way. This whole thing came from the diary of a Washington sociolite, Mrs. Pryor, that was only discovered years, years after the events. That marriage actually occurred in May of that year, long before the secession happened. What she was apparently referring to was the walkout of Democratic senators from South Carolina from the Democratic National Convention which started a basically an internal civil war within the Democratic Party that led to the ascendancy of the secessionist faction. So Buchanan actually did respond that way, but contrary to popular historians, he was not out partying when the country was falling apart. He was out partying when his party, the Democrats, actually did implode from under his feet. Yeah. That happened, but he wasn't quite Nero fiddling while Rome burned. After that, even after Harper's Ferry, after the Democrat of the convention, like I'm saying, it's just it, it was just damage control, and I'm really not sure or what he could have done without doing something absolutely draconian. And some people would argue that that's what he should have done that he should have immediately sent the army and uh, done martial law or or started doing any su summary executions of Southerners who were in charge of these secessionist movements. But then again, literally, with what army? The U.S. had around five companies of the professional army to staff the fort well, that were in the seceding states. Well... How much do you know about the nullification crisis under Andrew Jackson? Enough. Right. So, remember, this wasn't South Carolina's first time wanting to secede. They had also done that during Andrew Jackson's presidency. They have a long tradition of radicalism down in South Carolina, yes. Right. Remember how Andrew Jackson stopped it from happening? Could have been done. Potentially. Yeah. But he... the U.S. military was a very atrophied thing. Literally five line companies was all they had to staff the forts alone. That's nothing to do with the major cities, nothing to do with military operations. Just staffing forts that were in Confederate territory. And believe me, Buchanan is no commander-in-chief like Jackson that's he didn't fair. have... But yeah. that's also why he wasn't a good president. I mean... Precise? Yeah. So... No command presence. Yeah. Buchanan was... Well... Uh, there are still a few things that I am iffy on. Uh, one of the things primarily you said is what exactly could he have done to stop the secession? I do think that he could have taken a page out of Andrew Jackson's book, but instead he just caved and refused to do anything. He just said, nah, go, go ahead, go. 
and well we know that this led to the deaths of over 600,000 people and pretty much everything else I can't really find anything good on the guy I can't again I'm not going to put him as the worst president ever just yet but he is definitely in my bottom four I got the unholy trinity that I keep in mind uh, Woodrow Wilson FDR and so far Joe Biden if Joe Biden Sniffy the Clown gets us in a war I will almost certainly put him under James Buchanan it's a bunch of different areas in which many of these horrible horrible presidents are worse in different ways Woodrow Wilson his philosophy breaking his promise to keep us out of World War One FDR we're still not recovered from FDR's horrible economic policies Joe Biden well we're gonna have to see how history looks at him but so far he has created the crisis that we are stuck in James Buchanan didn't create the Civil War FDR horribly mishandled the Great Depression but the, he did not cause it but that's neither here nor there um, do we both agree Marquis that James Buchanan goes in the F category if that's defined as just the lowest tier without a numerical cap on the amount of presidents there then yes I'm not prepared to say that he's even in my bottom five but he's probably in the bottom 10 for me just because of the rare instance of a country actually falling apart from under his feet being a uh, rarity in American history, let's call it. Yeah. But the sole criterion of how I judge presidents is what they did to increase the power of the state. If they were very good at that mission, then correspondingly, they rate very low on my list of presidents. Amen. And yes, Buchanan thankfully did not curse us with a much larger administrative state or war crimes or invading the South like Lincoln would. He didn't massively increase the welfare state like uh, Barack Obama. Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, Herbert Hoover, or Franklin Roosevelt did. He didn't metamorphose American foreign policy into an empire such as McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, or Woodrow Wilson did, to say nothing of our more recent presidents, such as George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush. That aside, he does bear the unique and singular flaw of having the country disintegrate from under him, where the Charleston Mercury was able to print the headline, Union is Dissolved. So that's that earns him a special place in American history, and it's not an enviable one. Yeah. Even FDR and Woodrow Wilson can say, hey, I didn't have a civil war happen under me. Then again, that's... that's pretty low bar to set but for Buchanan it happened and he just barely was able to say hey 
It didn't start under me. Fort Sumter didn't happen until Lincoln was in office yet. No, it, fuck that. It, it was that was on Buchanan. Yeah, I'm glad we can both agree. Uh, I do regret putting Buchanan in the E category. I just didn't know enough about him at the time. So Buchanan gets an F for me. He does have a cool memorial though. Uh, anybody on here, if you look up the B James Buchanan Memorial, he's got a pretty cool statue. It's a, uh, it's in Washington D.C. I believe. Uh, it's just a statue of him sitting with some book in his lap, I believe, and it's got Buchanan written over the statue, but it's stylized so that the U looks like a V. Pretty cool design. But other than that, yeah, he was. Pretty dog shit as a president. I put him in my bottom five. Uh, Marquis, you say you put him in your bottom ten. Marquis, you got any final thoughts? I wouldn't say that he's the worst president, but I would call him a uh, uniquely bad president. There have been so many others who have grown the state significantly more than he had. That's really not what we remember him for at all. So I have a hard time putting him at the very bottom. It just doesn't fit that criterion. Right. But he is singular in that the country did follow our rule. So I think a solid F. Yeah. F perhaps F not the worst. Um some historians put Warren G. Harding worse. Are you fucking serious? Uh, that's a president for another time. Hope y'all enjoyed this episode today. Uh, again, this is different from what we usually do. However, we are thinking about potentially starting a series for different presidents and how we rate their job. And let us know what president you would like to see us critique, tear down, or praise in the future. Y'all saw it here, number 15, James Buchanan. Those are our final thoughts on him. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. God bless America.